Hello and welcome to another episode of Fool's Daily. I am joined today by a very special guest. All the way from the other side of the Atlantic. But do not hold that against him. I'm sure he's a very nice person. Um, I'm joined by Joey, who is the creator of This Is Not A Test, one of the post-apocalyptic rule sets that I've been trying out. So, Joey, hello. Hello, how are you today? I'm very well. I'm very well. It's it's mid-afternoon for me, early in the morning for you. That's correct. <laughs> um, but as Joey is new to the show, um, he has to do his 30-second bio. So, Joey, what is your 30-second gaming bio? 30-second gaming bio. That is fair enough. Um, so I've been in the miniatures hobby since 1997. Um like a lot of us, I started with uh, Games Workshop, and slowly over the years, I've been adding to my repertoire, and um, so kind of here I am today. Um, professionally, I started writing miniature rules, just kind of on, well, personally, I, I've always modified rules to make them do what I wanted to do, or to get outcomes that I liked. Um, professionally, I, my first work was with a, a small company that's still around. I freelance for them called Rat Trap Publishing. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I actually, we used to have a gang of four of us called the Bullpen. And we, um, it was run by Richard Johnson, who is an extent, he is such a great guy. And he kind of took us under, well, he didn't, I wouldn't use the phrase, took us under his wing, but he allowed us creative output. And we generated a small amount of work for them, you know, scenarios, campaigns, that kind of stuff, which you can still buy today. And that was kind of my first stamp on the gaming world. Um, and that, that to me was kind of like a milestone because I, I officially actually gave – he gave me money for that work. That was professional. So <laughs> that's, that's always good. You're, you're already ahead of me because I've never been paid for anything to do with the games industry. <laughs> well, you know – it, it was it was modest sums. No no one goes into this industry to get to be rich. You know? <laughs> the old saw: if you want to start with uh, if you want to make a million dollars in the gaming industry, start with two. Yeah. <laughs> so so sorry, I'm I'm rat trap because I actually have some of the rat trap uh, yes, rules. Yes. Yes. Um. You, so were you doing the pulp stuff? Yes. Um. Forty five so, adventure. So it kind of so where it was. So there was four of us. It was Pete Murray, who went off to work for, um, oh, God, the name of the company that does um, XCOM. Um, Sid Meier's company. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I know who you mean. Yeah. He he, he did. um, Remember the – he wrote the Rat Trap game called Glaw. Right. Um, The the kind of musketeers. And then there was Mark Anderson – who wrote um, Fantastic Worlds, which was uh, Swords and Planet, Ray Guns, Retro Ray Guns yep. rule set for Rat Trap. And then there was kind of me and Mark Costello, who we didn't have our own games per se, but we generated scenarios. Um, just if, like, Rat, um, Richard had a, a book series out where he would just publish scenarios. And we, like, I did a, a Lost World pulp um set of length like five scenarios and the idea behind that was i knew in my head that people had these miniature collections and they wanted to use them 
for things other than playing games, workshop games, Warhammer, for instance. So yeah. I had a series of pulp adventures battling these kind of dinosaurs in the jungle. And each scenario was linked for like a certain GW model. So skinks, you know, sources, that kind oh, of fun co- stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, no, I, I have the Fantastic World rules. I have never, I've never played them, but it's... It's one of those. It's another of those periods that I, I see loads of really good figures and think, "Oh, I could play a game with those." Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it. Mark Anderson really knows. He knows that genre up and down, and I think he actually has his own company now. I think it's Oddball Productions. I, I, if I'm wrong on that, forgive me, Mark. But he kind of bought the rolls back off of Rich, and now he's producing his own stuff because he really, he, he's really kind of obsessed with. Um, I don't know what's the term for uh, not rocket racing, but like jet bike racing, right? Like you know, just zooming through you know valleys. Like that was episode yeah. one. He really wants to do that retro, and he's got <laughs> he's really working on that. So yeah, it's very fun. So so back. So let me pull it back in. So that's what that kind of honed me a little bit, right? And then I would say about three. So we're so TNT or this is not a test. Shorthand TNT. Oh yeah, I have to ask you. Okay, why this is not a test? So there, there's a couple answers to the question. There's a lot of great names for post-apocalyptic games. Most of them are already taken. <laughs> like there was this. Like my my. If I had to have my my choice, it would have been probably like please stand by. But that was by that was taken by another by a zombie rule set. And I, ah, right. yeah, I so, and you know, we're all small publishers and we, you can't technically in, at least in America, as far as I know, you can't copyright a book title. Yeah. So you'll see hundreds of books with the same name songs, songs operate under the same system, but especially when you're doing small press publishing and in a very, you know, the tabletop market, you don't want to, you know, brand confusion and all that. Yeah. And you know, this is not a test is still. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't grow. I didn't grow up in the during like the early heady days of the Cold Wars. You know, the nineteen sixties, nineteen seven. You know, nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, early nineteen yeah. seventies. But you know, we grew up when you know we still had you know you still had tests on TV that would say this is not a test, right? The, you know, this is a broadcast, and you know that was like, well, what happens one day when it's not? <laughs> And you know that that that's kind of what like that that and I still think that title resonates with people and and it's not super wordy you know and plus yeah. and I'm not going to lie to you it has a TNT is a really great shorthand for a set of TNT words. is a very good a very good acronym yeah because you know you you like like GW yeah you know very simple name but you may notice that there's a lot of companies that use those. <laughs> Like Warlord Games is WG. <laughs> yeah, I I heard the tale that that's not a coincidence. No, I have heard that story a couple of times actually. <laughs> so you know, it's it's always about what 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 makes anything easy roll off the tongue. Because if it's like I, I, and I always cite Pete Murray his his glor his his rules for glory translate as glory, but in the French, it's it's gloire or some or something yeah. exactly like that. And if you're French, it's probably a very simple word to say. <laughs> yeah. But if you're at your if you're at your the gaming club and you've had a couple beers in you and you want to say oh, you don't want to play this next, 
<laughs> it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. No, I I get I get that. <laughs> I get that. So, so so pulling it back, I guess. I mean, why post-apocalyptic gaming? What what is it about post-apocalyptic that yeah. that made you want to write a rule set based around that? I mean, because I mean, as you said earlier, I mean, there's there's plenty of rule sets out there that sort of cover that period. Yes. Um, though most of them, they, most of them these days tend to be jumping on the Walking Dead bandwagon and yes. going zombie apocalypse rather than uh, um, nuclear apocalypse. But but what what was it? What is it about that that genre that that drove you? Okay, so there's a couple. It's a kind of a multifaceted question on why would I write a rule set about it, and what about the genre that I like? Yeah, and the genre that I like. So I have always liked the post. I, I think the post apocalypse appeals to us. In the sense, it's 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 like the adventure novels we read as children. It's you know the veneer of civilization is ripped away, and in in a sense, it's a very horrible, horrible thing. But in the other sense, it's almost like this liberation. It's no more rules. And you you imagine as as a child, you don't you know you wonder what it's like to be an adult. You don't imagine all the responsibility. And all the hard stuff that comes with it. There's this in your in your mind. There is no rules. You can do what you want. You know, you live and die by your own set of skills and strengths. And the post-apocalypse is kind of like that. It lets us, you know, we we get the dream of kind of like we we can you can do almost anything you want. And I think that basic concept is kind of what drew me in a little bit. But you also tie it in with just. Let me see if I can put this more succinctly. So, cultural. So you have you have this no rules aspect. Yep. Then you also have the kind of the fiction, the the media, the zeitgeist of the post apocalypse, which is I mean this is so appealing. So you go back to the original like nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties B movies. G, I mean just giant lizards. Giant monsters. I mean, radiation lets you create anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like science fiction magic. You, with just a little bit of uranium, you have, you know, a two foot, you know, two story tall Gila monster hunting teenagers through, you know, suburban Texas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then. As we get along, you know, then you have like the Mad Max movies beyond Thunderdome, seventies and eighties. You, you're just adding, and then you got you know Cannibal Mutants, and then what really hit home for me was the Fallout series. Right. You know, Fallout one and two. I played those, loved them. That nineteen fifties Art Deco, a crazy civilization, crazy tech. It's like super science meets nineteen fifties technology, and then. I would say what really was the impetus for the game was I played Fallout 3. Now, people like to balance, people like to compare Fallout 1 and 2 to Fallout 3 and they're totally different, but for for me I really favor Fallout 3 because one it was set where I was living at the time. And any DC native will tell you that after Fallout 3, you always, you always, if you didn't look <laughs> twice, you thought twice about going into the Metro. 
<laughs> I must admit, when I went to DC to visit, um, I did spend quite a lot of time going, well, oh, I've seen that blown up in Fallout 3. I've seen that blown up in Fallout and, 3. And, and, and like the Metro Tunnels is really where it hits home. <laughs> and it's actually funny, um, like there's a part in Fallout 3 where um, I forget the name, Old Olney, they called it. And yeah. it's not actually Olney because Olney is actually a real town. But there was a there was this there was this very piece of distinct architecture where it had these thick glass windows and it was very curved and it was identical to a building that was five minutes from my house. I mean, and it is it's just so cool that you can almost play in your backyard in a video game. Yeah, and that kind of changes the man a little bit, <laughs> and it makes you really want to. Okay, what do I love? What do I love doing it. And how can I incorporate what all this all this wonderful inspiration? And that kind of got me thinking about, you know, I really wanted to do a miniature rule set that had all these great elements that inspired me. And that's kind of where the inspiration came from. It was it's I, I would say um, Fallout was obviously my biggest influence, but it was also inspired by more, you know, Video games were kind of half the battle, but books, like I really love The Order of Leibowitz. Right. Which is just about these monks live, protecting knowledge in a post-apocalyptic world. You know, I always get the, like one of, one of my factions is the preservers. And, you know, if people always gravitate to them because they think Brotherhood of Steel. You know, they have power armor. These are the guys with the relics. But they're also, it's like if you mix Brotherhood of Steel with the Order of Leibowitzians is what they call them in the book. You've got these, not, they're not, you know, in the book they're monks, but my guys are just, they don't have to be monks. That's kind of the, one of the fun things about my generic war bands is they can be whatever you want. I'm not, you know, there's so yeah. many, they can be aesthetic monks, they can be generic relic collectors, they can be scrap hunters, kind of whatever feel you want to give to them. Oh my gosh, I just lost my train of thought. So, <laughs> so that books and also the those things that yeah inspired me. So that that's why that's kind of where the aesthetics and the cultural references that kind of brought me to this is not a test. So, I mean, so that I mean, certainly when I first read through it, I was I read through it and Fallout, what was jumping off the yes. page at me. I mean, I love Fallout as well. I'm incredibly excited to see if the rumors for. E3 this year are real, and there is going to be there is Fallout Four. Um, oh, God willing, <laughs> but um, I mean, it said that that certainly leapt off. The other thing that came through when I read through that when I read through the rules is, and it, it, it's probably hard for you to rea to realize this, but the American flavor of it. <laughs> um, you know, it it ha it it they broadcast that. Sort of the American, the Americanized East Coast destroyed, um, but it broadcasts it like Americans. I don't, I don't know if you, if you're familiar with Judge Dredd at all. Yes, yes. Um, and so obviously that set, you know, Mega City One is basically New York, where your where your world is set. Yeah, it's it's but, DC to Boston. Yeah, it's very no, it's further. It's a very British yes view of that area of the United States, whereas. Yours is a very American view of the, of that part you know, of the United States, and it really comes across the page, which is re which is really good. It's it having having lived in both places, it 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 spoke to me quite a lot. 
that you're getting that this thing and and I think the artwork that you put into the book as well helps communicate that's right and I think that's what I mean that's one of the things that I really like about it I mean you've gone for really high production values you know I I, um, I, I really did my um so this book took three years to get to market and that was with with today you know three years ago that was the norm but now everybody is kickstarting yep and I, I, you know, like a year ago, six months ago, and honestly, even two months ago, I was like, should I do a Kickstarter? Should I launch the game with a Kickstarter? And I decided that I have no problem with Kickstarters. In fact, they are. A, I will probably do a Kickstarter at some point to kind of move, get my momentum going. But I wanted to prove to myself and to the public at large that I could get a game off the ground just kind of by, by by my own bootstraps, you know, just let me take, you know, so, I mean, I engage with artists, I engage with, I mean, I did all the writing, but like um, people helping with editing, you know, just, it's a long process of finding great talent, harnessing that talent, and then taking their product and, you know, I would like to think that I'm just a writer. I, you know, I, the, like I, I, I let me let me let me kind of speak to the people who kind of like what you're talking about the production value. So, and it's, it's also kind of funny that it's how we're talking about the British versus UK thing, where the main artist is a gentleman named David Arenas, and he is in Spain, right. which is kind of funny. So you kind of have to describe America to him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's done, he's done a an excellent job of it. I have to and admit, he, I found him when he had just I believe he was either in school. Or finishing school, and now he—I mean, his art—he has gotten like his early pieces to his to his later pieces. It's amazing the transition, and he is such a good artist. And I, I will also give a shout out to Dave Taylor, who you may have heard of. Yeah, he did the layout. And if there's one person that I think defines the look of the book, it's it's really him. I mean, I, 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 I put words to a page, but he really, um, it just, ama- his work is amazing and I, it really shows, you know, just the organization, the tables, all that fun stuff. He did all the pictures. We, we, there, we, we spent at least 12 hours of nothing but in front of the, in, behind the camera taking pictures of my, of the terrain, the, the, all the, everything in the book is mine. I don't think yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things that I, that, I mean, that's one of the other things that I really like about it is there is a really nice mix of art and yeah, models yeah. with with real terrain and stuff and rusted hulks of cars and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did want to kind of jump back to how we were talking oh, about about the U.S. and, and British differences of the apocalypse. I, I kind of always thought it was funny where. Every post-apocalyptic book, except for one, and you know that the game rule that's always if it's it's, it's a British British authors always set their post-apocalypse in the United States. Yeah, and I love it. And like you said, Judge Dread, which is, it, I you know outside of like the Queen of England and tea, I can't imagine something more British than Judge Dread. <laughs> yeah, no, it it. it... 
it is it is interesting the the different views. So I just want I just I just always love that because then there's another rule set, and I don't mind talking about other rule sets at all called across the across the dead earth. Yeah, by Richard. I'm, I, they're they're, they're going to be on the show at some point as well. Yeah, um, actually, actually, we all talk to each other. Believe it or not, Richard. <laughs> Richard, I, I want to say Chapel is how you say yes. it. I, if it's Chappelle, I apologize. And um, the gentleman behind Wasteman, um, Jason oh, Fairclaw. Oh, I don't know Wasteman. Yeah that that is another that is another post-apocalyptic game that kickstarted. All right. Well, that's a, no, that's a, that's a new one on me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to. <laughs> I'm not moving. Something. No, you should be plugging yours. I do. Well, see, I a couple about a year ago, I created a Facebook group called the Post-Apocalyptic Collaborative, and it was so. If you want to, if you want post-apocalypse, go to that Facebook group today. Like, finish listening to this podcast, go to all the wonderful sponsors of your show, and then immediately go there. <laughs> and we just talk about the post-apocalypse. And I can't, and I do have. It's my. It will start. Me and another gentleman from um, High Cans Games started it. So there just was a place that people could go, kind of you know, plug their products or just. You know what games can I play? Here's some ter- here's some post-apocalyptic terrain I'm building. What what are the what are the models out there that I can buy? And so that's kind of where we started with that. But let me kind of go back to this is not a test. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I get easily derailed with that topic because I love talking about collaboration with people. You know, it's a, it's a small industry. Yes, not a, it is. It is a very small industry. So you know, we we're we're competitive in the sense that we're all selling rules that we want you to play. But, like, if you're on a Facebook, you know, we'll all jump on and say, I will absolutely tell you that if you want a great Preserver War band, go to go look at the engineering expedition put out by um, Across the Dead Earth folks. Wonderful miniature set. Great Preserver War band for this is not a test. <laughs> um, I, I may have been uh, cutting off their integral metal bases. Your figures don't have integral metal no, bases. No, and, and that, w- that was a decision. That 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 is one of the great dividers of the hobby. Do you like? I, I myself, I, I'm a slaughter man. That's where I started. I I if I, I will cover them if I can, but removing yeah, I, I I cut them down too. No, I have to cut them down because I'm using some um, really nice resin base. Oh, that so especially. Yeah, you, you just have to take them. And so no, that this morning this morning I was chopping down that preserve all. <laughs> So that, that was my morning time. Oh, yeah. but, but anyway, enough about stuff that isn't <laughs> Um I noticed we've, we've been chatting for um, an episode's worth already. Oh, so I suggest I suggest what we do is we'll bring this episode to an end, and then um, next episode you can come back and you can tell us how the game actually plays. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, until the next episode, I've been Mike. And uh, I've been Joey. Thank you for listening. <laughs> bye bye. Fools Daily is proud to be helping out with WAC 2015, a great charity drive in support of Macmillan nurses. Check out the Just Giving page at www.justgiving.com/wac2015 or search for WAC on Twitter. <laughs>